Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rokraut. And today we have a very fun episode planned for you. We will be recapping three of the biggest film festivals from the fall, Venice, Telluride, and TIFF. Yeah, we had some of these awards just come out. The TIFF winners came out last weekend, and I mean, a lot of them overlap together anyway, so we'll try not to repeat too much. But coming soon is the New York Film Festival, which we will both be at and covering, and a lot of those will be featured there. So I think this discussion will continue on throughout award season, and we will definitely be seeing a lot of these movies that we'll be talking about today come up in the next few months and into the Oscar season. So we're finally in it and I'm excited to chat about them. Yeah, I'm really excited also just to recap my Telluride experience since I got to go to that festival this year and it was really just incredible. So I'm excited to talk about that. Just echoing what you said, we will be saving a lot of these films to review for later in the year when more people can see them. We know that not that many people have seen Maestro and Priscilla, and we haven't seen these movies yet either. I think we're just going to be talking about general buzz and what is coming for the rest of the year. So let's get started with Venice. I think this year Venice seemed a little bit stronger in terms of reception to um, some of the films that premiered there. So um, just going through some awards, the Volpe Cup for Best Actor went to Peter Sarsgaard for Memory. The Volpe Cup for Actress went to Kaylee Spaney for Priscilla. Screenplay went to Pablo Lorraine and Guillermo Calderon for El Conde. The Special Jury Prize went to Green Border. Best Director went to Matteo Garone for Io Capitano. The Grand Jury Prize, which is second place, went to Evil Does Not Exist, the new Hamaguchi film. And The Golden Lion, the big one, went to Poor Things from Yorgos Lanthimos. So the big winner, Poor Things, we heard about either earlier this year or late last year. And just based on the concept and how weird it sounded, I was very skeptical. And we did get like early teasers or photos too. And my feelings about it didn't really change. And when this won the Golden Lion, I was shook. (laughs) And by everybody's responses by them loving it and loving Emma and this world that Lanthimos has built, it really solidifies him as this visionary because I feel like all of his works are so different and they're so out there. I am very excited to see this now. And you saw this at Telluride, right? I did see it at Telluride, and we will definitely be spending more time talking about this film as the season progresses. I'm confident in saying that this is Searchlight's big player this award season. You're right. It is very strange. It's raunchy. It's out there. All of these things made me love the movie, and I think it is definitely one of my favorite Yorgos Lanthimos films. You know this. I've been very hot and cold on him. I don't really love a lot of his earlier films that people are into, like The Lobster, Killing of a Sacred Deer. I did love The Favorite. I think Tony McNamara's work on the screenplay here is absolutely brilliant. The world that they construct in the film is so easy to get lost in. The crafts, oh my god i cannot wait to talk about the production design and the costume design and just how the movie looks it is just such a rich and layered world it feels like you're getting lost in a novel or it's just it's gorgeous but i think the shining star of the film is emma stone what she's doing in this movie is completely fearless it is the best performance of her career i really can't sing her praises enough she's also a producer on the film And it's very clear, I think, that she was very involved in the decisions around the film and in constructing her character. It is a radically feminist film, and unapologetically so. I loved it. And the supporting performances are great. Mark Ruffalo is incredible. I know you love Willem Dafoe and have predicted him for years now in supporting. And I have to say that Maybe I think it's happen. possible. Oh my God. I could definitely see a critics group going for him 
if even if he doesn't get nominated, I think that the makeup that he wears as this sort of mad scientist mm-hmm. figure whose name is Godwin but goes by God in the movie that just gives you a little taste so of the perfectly. sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the makeup that he wears, he has these scars all over his face and oh it's it's wonderful. So yeah, I I love poor things. I can't wait for more people to see it. It's scheduled to come out now in the U.S. on December 8th and then expand to other countries after that. I can't wait to talk about it more once you see it. Some other ones we got. So Evil Does Not Exist, the runner-up, the Grand Jury Prize winner is Hamaguchi's follow-up to Drive My Car. That obviously did really well at the Oscars. And I feel like the response was not as high as Drive My Car, but obviously winning this prize is a really big deal. This is another crossover with the New York Film Festival. I know I had my issues with Drive My Car. I wasn't like a full supporter of it. I loved how much it showed up in terms of an international feature getting in, but I am excited for this. I love a movie that gets a lot of praise and yeah, I will be seeing this next month. Yeah, so this one's interesting because from what I've heard about it, it's very different from Drive My Car and the film sort of came out of nowhere, right? A lot of people didn't even know he was making this movie and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, it's at festivals. We have Evil Does Not Exist at Toronto and Venice and coming to New York. It is 106 minutes. I think you'll be happy to hear that so we don't have the the length (laughs) like Drive My Car. But yeah, I, I can't wait to see this one and his films give you a lot to chew on and it's definitely one of my most anticipated films going into New York. He's great at a slow burn and I have to say I do really love the title. The title Mm -hmm. is really important and it is really pulling me in. Yeah a great title. Going to another award winner we had Sofia Coppola's film Priscilla and I'm really intrigued by Kaylee Spaney winning Best Actress Mm -hmm. because When I look at the Best Actress winners from Venice for the past few years, my personal favorite contender in the Oscar race is usually the the winner of the Volpe Cup. Kate Blanchett for Tar, Penelope Cruz for Parallel Mothers. Some incredible winners come out of this festival. And I'm really excited to see this performance because I recently read Elvis and Me, Priscilla's memoir in preparation for the film and wow what a book (laughs) I, I can't even articulate the experience of reading this book I flew through it in one sitting I mean I did have a very long flight so that was you know uninterrupted time but the tone of it is so interesting and I can only imagine what Sofia Coppola will do here with this world because it is like a fairy tale for all that that means, right? The lightness and the darkness of fairy tales. That's exactly what the story is. And no one captures adolescent girl loneliness like Sofia Coppola. So yeah, I mean, this has been one of my most anticipated films for a long time, but seeing that it had such positive reactions out of Venice only made me more excited to see it. That does really sound like a perfect Coppola movie. Mm -hmm. You learn all about her teenage years, like how she finished high school when she was living at Graceland and how they met when she was 14 years old. It's just a fascinating story. And it gets into like Elvis's drug use and her relationship with her parents, trying to convince them to let her spend more time with Elvis, even though she was in high school. It is, it's crazy. It's one of those, like, the truth is stranger than fiction type of tales. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just, it's a great source material for a film. And like you said, for a Coppola film. And Priscilla was happy with the response, but the family wasn't? Yes. So that also tells you everything you need to know, I think, (laughs) in that Priscilla was very happy with the final product, but the... Presley estate Mm -hmm. was not and that's why Sophia Coppola wasn't able to use Elvis's music in the film so it has a different type of score Mm -hmm. which or a different type of soundtrack which I personally loved that in Marie Antoinette how the soundtrack was so different from the time period and everything like that 
So, yeah, I, I think that's good because another biopic we'll talk about in a little bit when we get into the Telluride section. Oh, sometimes you can just tell when a, the person who it's based on is a little bit too close to the story in the sense that they make sure it paints the story in a way that's very kind and doesn't get into any controversy whatsoever. I can't imagine what that is going to be. <laughs> can't wait to talk about it. The comedy of the year. I guess looking at this category specifically with actress, there was a lot of praise for Penelope Cruz for Ferrari. She was like the big performance that shined out of that movie. So there were a lot of other big films coming out of this festival that didn't necessarily get awards. The big ones were Maestro. That was, again, the big one. We'll see that at New York, but definitely one that you maybe more so than me, but us both (laughs) were waiting for. And then we also had David Fincher's The Killer. I chose that on my award season fantasy draft team. That might have been not the best choice, but I am still really excited to see it based on the trailer we got after its premiere. Ferrari, like I said. But yeah, those were, I think, big studio films that we still have coming this year that definitely still have potential, but maybe surprised me a little bit with leaving the festival empty handed. So no one is going to believe me when I say this and that's fine. You're entitled to your opinion, but I'm very happy that Maestro didn't win awards. And here's why (laughs) when a star is born came out and premiered at Venice, it was just the talk of the festival, even though it didn't win the golden lion, everyone was talking about how triumphant it was and how Bradley Cooper did such a fantastic job with his directorial debut and Lady Gaga giving this transcendent performance and everything like that. And then what happened throughout the season? People got tired of it. It had, I don't know if you could call it frontrunner fatigue, but people definitely didn't respond to it in the same way as the season progressed. Because sometimes when you shove a movie down people's throats, they reject it. So... The fact that Maestro got really good reviews, for the most part, the reviews were very positive, praising Cooper's direction, praising Carrie Mulligan's performance. I think that's a good sign for it going forward. I think it can kind of lay low. It can it can be outside of the awards spotlight for a little bit, and then maybe people will respond to it in a better way as the season progresses. Its North American premiere will be at David Geffen Hall which is really incredible. You know, Leonard Bernstein is a New York staple and is really tied to the history of the city. So I think it makes sense for them to just have a Venice premiere and a New York premiere and just let people discover it in a way that I don't think Netflix always does with their films. So it does premiere in October, but it won't be on Netflix until the end of December, right before Christmas. So yeah, I think that time frame, especially with the delayed release to the streaming platform I think could help it with viewers to like talking about it later in the award season right before nominations are announced and the killer and Ferrari of course I'm so excited to see those the one thing about the killer that made me really sad from reviews was seeing that Tilda Swinton was underused (laughs) I saw a couple people saying that and I was Really hopeful that she would have a larger role, but that's okay. I'm happy she's still there. The thing that's most exciting to me about the movie, honestly, is the tidbit that he kills people to the Smiths. Talk about a movie for me. I'm so excited. (laughs) The second I found that out, I texted my dad and said, there are at least 10 songs from the Smiths in this movie. We're very excited about that. That's most of the soundtrack, right? If not all of it? Yeah, it's, it's exciting. And I think... When we think about Fincher's latest releases, Mank was so different for him, I think, compared to some of his other films that are incredibly violent and dark, like Seven or Zodiac, my favorite Fincher film, even Gone Girl. So this is this feels almost like a return to form for him. So even if people mm-hmm. didn't respond as positively to it, I think we're going to like it, if I had to guess. Yeah, I mean, in terms of awards... If the social network couldn't even get there, I'm happy that Fincher is kind of putting that aside, going back to his roots, hitting some of those touchstone movies of his that we love so much and all those techniques. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I can't wait for this still. 
And you've been doing some Michael Mann watches, haven't oh, you? Yeah. To prepare for Ferrari. I'm trying to get through all of them. I'm getting there. And oh my God. I do love his direction a lot. I'm excited for what Ferrari can be, especially for the performances, but just a lot of the action and the angst that he's so good at. And maybe we'll get to see, I haven't looked at the cast list apart from the top build, but hopefully we'll get some other guest performances from earlier films too, because he does mix and match sometimes, which I love. We'll have to cover more of his films um, later in the year when Ferrari comes out, because I want to hear all of your opinions about (laughs) Heat and Collateral, everything you've been watching, yeah. I mean, I'm getting through Man, and I'm trying to do at least some of Scorsese. There's just so much. But him and Coppola, there are so many good auteurs that have new movies coming out this season that I'm really excited to talk about. And because they're doing really well, I'm also excited. Another film that premiered here at Venice was Ava DuVernay's new film, Origin, which stars Anjanou Ellis-Taylor, John Bernthal... Nisi Nash Betts. It's based on the book Cast by Isabel Wilkerson. And it's gotten mixed reviews, but I think that the positive reviews for me and Ava DuVernay's past works have me pretty excited for this one. Mm -hmm. I feel like there were some pretty decent reviews that I saw, and she's a wonderful director. I could see this definitely continuing on this season. And I don't think we have a wide release yet, but I'm sure we will by November or December. Another one that we haven't mentioned yet out of this festival that just got acquired by Netflix is Hitman, Richard Linklater's new movie. Again, another genius filmmaker. And this has gotten so much praise as being a comedy, which I Mm -hmm. didn't expect at all. I think a lot of these movies are really playing with my expectation of what I think I'm getting this season and I love that a lot yeah and I'm really excited to see Hitman I've heard that it is a strong movie star vehicle for Glenn Powell he looks beautiful in the stills I don't know how I feel about Netflix being its home I just I hope that they don't bury it I hope that it has you know positive word of mouth but yeah this is what I'm looking forward to also coming to New York Film Festival Yeah, I think with Netflix, they have so many movies, and as they keep adding, I just get more scared. Mm -hmm. Another one in a completely different category is The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar by Wes Anderson. This is the first of a four-part anthology of short films adapted from Rodal, and they're coming in succession of one another starting on September 27th. So this titular one premiered at Venice Lots of praise for Benedict Cumberbatch and Wes and his production design. So I wonder if these have potential for live action short. But the three others that we'll be getting, I don't think we've gotten stills yet, are The Swan, The Ratcatcher, and Poison. The trailer to The Wonderful Story of Henry Sugar looks beautiful. It was just delightful. I think if you like Wes Anderson films, it will be a, a good treat for us. Maybe you'll get back on the West Wagon if it's a short. (laughs) I hope so. I guess I can say I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) So we had some other films come out at Venice. We had Coup de Chance, which is the new Woody Allen film. This had pretty positive reviews, I would say, which I, you never, I mean, you just never know what's going to happen when a new Woody Allen movie comes out. Mm -mm. I think the last one I saw... My sister was in her prime Timothy Chalamet phase when A Rainy Day in New York came out, and we tried to watch it and couldn't make it through 10 minutes. So I'm intrigued by these positive reviews, but this does not have a U.S. release date. It doesn't have a U.S. distributor. So I really don't know what the film's life could be, but I did track that critics were responding more positively to it than I expected. We also had Agro Drift, which is also coming to New York Film Festival, the new Harmony Corinne film. And this had really negative reviews coming out of Venice. Really? It felt like Agro Yes, it felt like Agro Drift and The Palace, the new Roman Polanski movie, had the worst reviews that I saw. It was sort of like Agro Drift was like the sun in terms of reception. I saw a lot of F and one star reviews for this. 
I saw some mixed reviews and some positive reviews, so I think that was enough to keep my interest. And uh-huh. this is showing up in so many other festivals too. It might just be the infrared filming of it that it's so different, but it's pretty short. I think it's like 80 something minutes long. I'm like, why not? I'm going to be there already. Might as well stay for this one. <laughs> I'll make Fine, you stay. Fine, I'll go with you. <laughs> yeah, it's like... Harmony Corinne films are tough for me, but I think it could be a fun experience to exactly, stay with you and watch exactly. it. Yeah. And then on kind of a sad note, we had William Friedkin's last film, The Kane Mutiny Court Martial, which also I think premiered to pretty positive reviews. So I'm excited to see where this one goes and eventually see William Friedkin's last film. We just saw Sorcerer together, which was a fun experience i think seeing that in a movie theater with a lot of people mm-hmm. who love the movie like this is a cult classic people were wearing sorcerer shirts and i didn't know anything about this movie so i think just going and experiencing that was good mm-hmm. i didn't love it but i think william friedkin is so well known and i love that guillermo del toro is a big proponent of getting this film out there since he acted as backup director for Friedkin during the shoot. So I hope this gets a release and that we can see it here in the States. Me too. So of all of these movies that we mentioned, which one are you most excited to see? I am most excited to see Poor Things. Yes, it did win the big prize, but I think just all of the talk about this movie and you saying the texts were incredible, the acting is incredible. I love a movie that like really transports you to a different world and that is what Lanthimos does best so I cannot wait for this one hopefully not too far off hopefully it's one of those encore screenings at New York because I can't make the initial screenings this movie is also so funny some of the things that Emma Stone's character says I was trying not to howl laughing there's one line in particular that is just so good that I think about often. Oh my god. So I can't wait for you to see it and to talk about it more. Amazing. So which movie are you most excited to see? Oh my gosh. My anticipation for so many of these is very high. I'm really excited to see Green Border, the special jury prize winner. But I think right now, at the top of my list, it has to be Priscilla. Because I just finished reading that book and I am just beyond curious to see how Sofia Coppola tackles this story and to see Jacob Elordi too of course (laughs) the year of Jacob Elordi it's a year I've been waiting for it's something that we've you know tried to manifest I think throughout the duration of our show but just seeing him on the red carpet with Kaylee Spaney and Sofia Coppola he looked like a giant like a beautiful giant Mm -hmm. and the reviews of his performance as Elvis, are also really strong. Very different from Austin Butler's interpretation of Elvis. So very excited to see him, Kaylee Spaney, and the beautiful world that Sofia Coppola created here. So many picks from our early 2024 predictions. They're manifesting. (laughs) Okay, so on to Telluride now. And I will turn it over to you for most of this to talk about your experience, some of the big movies. And I guess just what it was like, because it's so different from Venice, from Cannes, from New York even. Yeah, it's incredibly different. I think that the first thing really is just there are no awards. It's not glamorous in the same way that those larger film festivals are. Even New York. I think New York has this sort of like cool city feel to it. But there's still, you know, a step and repeat. There's still a carpet inside. You still have that feel that the larger festivals have. Telluride is so small and intimate and it feels just like this beautiful celebration of the filmmakers. It's a very director focused festival and it's in one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. I mean, you were just in this little town that's in the mountains and you were just walking down the street and all of a sudden there's Laura Linney or <laughs> I don't know it's it's fun because you'll just be waiting in line and you'll just start talking to you know people who 
are just coming to town for the festival, asking them what movies they liked. All of the conversations that you have with people are all about the films and what they liked, what they didn't like, what they're excited to see. And I really now want to go to Telluride every single year. It was just such a wonderful experience and made me love movies even more. You watch so many of them, and I typically would watch three to four per day. I also, though, wanted to have time to just, like, walk around the town or sit with some of the movies that I had just watched. It's a festival experience really unlike any other. I can't recommend it enough. And so what were some of your favorite movies? I guess, like, top three to five out of the festival. Okay, so I'll kind of do what you did for Cannes and just go through my list of what I saw and... I won't talk about all of them in depth, but just going through some of the highlights. So one of the things about Telluride is that there are tribute screenings. So each year, actors and directors will get an award called the Silver Medallion. This year, because of the strike, we didn't have actor tributes. We just had director tributes. So those went to Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things, Vim Vendors, who had two films there, um, Perfect Days and Anselm, and then Alice Rohrabacher, who had La Chimera. So the first day, so there's a screening that they have for patrons of the festival and for all the press, and it's the secret screening that they do. So you go into this meeting with the festival director, she tells you what to expect from the festival, what they're excited for, and then you get to watch this secret screening. And this year it was The Bike Riders, the Jeff Nichols film. I was pretty mixed on it, I will say. I think that people will have a lot of fun with it. It's about this like motorcycle gang in Chicago. And Austin Butler is in it. Tom Hardy, Jodie Comer. The accent that Jodie Comer is doing is wild. <laughs> it is a very specific midwestern chicago accent (laughs) that kind of throws you for a loop when you first hear Mm -hmm. it but it's jeff nichols based the story on this book of photographs that he came across with all of these these pictures of these guys who were in this motorcycle gang in the 50s and the movie itself is sort of a goodfellas knockoff and will just make you appreciate goodfellas more i will say that Mm. but if you were a fan of austin butler This is a treat for you. The narrator of the film is the Jodie Comer character. And then Tom Hardy also has a pretty large role in it as well. But yeah, if you like, if you like beautiful men on bikes in leather, this is a fun time. But then later that night, I saw two more movies. So first I saw The Holdovers, which is Alexander Payne's new film starring Paul Giamatti, Divine Joy Randolph, and newcomer Dominic Sessa. I really loved this movie. It was so, so warm and it kind of had this sour and sweet quality to it that a lot of my favorite 70s films have. It's definitely inspired by Hal Ashby and uses a lot of of similar tricks from his movies, I would say. But also it feels like one of those sorts of like academic films from the 90s that you would get. So it very much feels like a throwback in a way and it has... I don't know, every character has something that they're going through. And there are moments of darkness that they experience, but it's also very heartwarming. And I think it's going to be one that a lot of families really like this year. So I'm very excited to show this to my parents around the holidays. I think it's Alexander Payne's best movie, really since Sideways. And I know that's not saying much, really, considering his output, but... I I really loved it. Paul Giamatti was great. Divine Joy Randolph. I think we should be looking out for her come Oscar time in supporting actress. And Dominic Sessa, who plays the boy at the boarding school who has to stay behind at Christmas break. They found him at a high school. Like he he's not an actor. He's not a professional actor. I thought he was really good and yeah, I, I really liked it, and I know I'd, we'd been anticipating it from the trailer, but I have to tell you, for the draft, I think this is a good pick for the AARP Movies for Grownups Award category. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Whether for Paul Giamatti, maybe an actor, I think film could be up there too. I know they go for some of those yeah. bigger movies, and I don't know about mm-hmm. this for that in particular, but 
I love to hear that. Mm -hmm. It's promising. Yeah, definitely. And then later that night, we took a sharp turn in terms of story and tone and everything like that. And I saw Emerald Fennell's Saltburn, which is her follow-up to Promising Young Woman. And I cannot wait for you to see this movie. I'm going to be reluctant to recommend it to everyone. But there are certain people in my life who I will wholeheartedly recommend it to and say, you absolutely must see this movie when it comes out. I personally loved it. It's, But it's not going to be one of those movies like for me, like Tar last year, where if people didn't like it, I would get upset and say, why didn't you like it? You know, it's so good. For something like Saltburn, no. To each their own. I completely understand if it's too much for you. But for me, it was just a delightful watch. So this movie is about this boy named Oliver Quick, who's played by Barry Keoghan, and he goes to Oxford. It's the early aughts, and he clearly comes from less money than the rest of his classmates, who are very posh and very beautiful and one of those beautiful classmates is Felix Felix Catton played by Jacob Elordi who is fantastic in this movie I'm not just saying that his accent is also great I was very pleasantly surprised but Oliver becomes enamored with Felix and gains his sympathies and finds a way into his world, and he's invited to his family estate called Saltburn for the summer. It'll draw comparisons to Brideshead Revisited and the talented Mr. Ripley, but it's different than that in a, in many ways. I think Emerald Fennell is exploring those sorts of things. She's exploring gothic literature, and I think a lot of themes that are really important to her, like sex, death, violence luxury, indulgences, all of these sorts of things I think are just looked at rather intensely throughout the film. And I also have to say, Rosamund Pike is so brilliant. She's the one who I think understands the film's sense of humor the best. And it's so much fun to watch and I can't wait to see it again. I'm really excited for this one. And you said divisive, and you've mentioned that previously about Promising Young Woman. So is that in the same way here or differently? Mm, No. So I think this will not offend people in the same way that Promising Young Woman did, because it's not contemporary. So I think, you know, Promising Young Woman being set now and being about sexual assault and Me Too and having this really I in my opinion just unhinged ending that in some ways I think betrayed some of what she was doing earlier on in the movie but that's to each their own I understand why people love the movie and why people don't this <laughs> this just goes I guess in a, I guess in a similar sense it does go too far <laughs> on a number of occasions <laughs> That's where why I said I would be reluctant to mm-hmm. recommend this to everyone. Your reluctance in sharing details is exciting me more and more. <laughs> yeah, you have to go in as blind as possible. Do not read reviews. Oh, absolutely not. Just avoid everything like that. Also, the needle drops are amazing. The soundtrack is so good. I've, I've been listening to it nonstop since I saw the movie. So, yeah, incredibly excited for everyone else to see it. We also had a number of biopics that were at Telluride, so that I saw throughout the next couple of days. So we had Rustin, which is the biopic of civil rights activist Bayard Rustin by George C. Wolfe. It's his follow-up to Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I wasn't incredibly excited for this film, I think because I don't love biopics. And I expected, I think, something that was a bit paint-by-numbers, Wikipedia-style in execution, but... It was much more enjoyable than that. I think the reason to watch it, though, is for Coleman Domingo's performance. I think that he really does elevate it. And he makes it, I think, a film worth watching and one that moves fairly quickly. Like, because I was so engaged in his performance, I didn't find myself bored by the film like I do with some other biopics. I think that just go from cradle to grave or that are very long. Like last year, for instance... 
the Whitney Houston biopic was so long. I want to dance with somebody. This is not. This is under two hours. It's pretty speedy. It covers really just a condensed period of time in Rustin's life. And I think the film really benefits from that focus from George C. Wolf. So we'll definitely be talking about this more throughout the year, I think, especially because of Coleman Domingo mm-hmm. and his performance. Then we had Nyad. So Nyad is about Diana Nyad, the highly controversial marathon swimmer. And in the film, she's played by Annette Benning. The reactions have been very mixed so far. I was a bit more negative on it. I think that parts of it work really well. I think the ending is great in showing her triumph as she is a woman in her 60s who swims from Cuba to Florida. Like It is an inspiring sports story. And by the ending, I think it's easy to get swept up in her triumph. And being able to do that against all odds. But the film itself is just, it's a tricky one. It's very funny. And I don't think it's trying to be. I think it incorporates a lot of unintentional comedy. For instance, the film opens and Diana Nyad and her friend Bonnie, played by Jodie Foster, are going to Petco to pick up poop bags. Like, that's how the movie opens with these two characters these two iconic actresses it's just it's bizarre and I think a lot of that is because of the script I think the script is kind of unnecessarily clunky and this film is by um, Jimmy Chin and Chai Vassarelli and they made Free Solo and The Rescue and this is their first narrative feature so it makes sense that they would decide to tackle a story like this. It's very much in line with their themes of looking into these very prickly athletes who might be difficult to root for, who decide to take on something that makes no sense to the average person <laughs> and explore that story. But here, I think they tried to lean on some of their documentary filmmaking tricks. There's a lot of B-roll. There's a lot of archival footage that I didn't think was entirely necessary, but Jodie Foster is absolutely the highlight of this movie. It was just fun to see her in a role like this, and I think she really does a lot with a little. Her character is pretty underwritten, but she makes the film worth watching, I think, and ultimately she's the one who runs away with it. Golden Globe nominee again? Winner? (laughs) Golden Globe winner again? (laughs) We'll see. But um, I'm excited for you to see this mainly because I just want you to see one particular scene in the movie when she's swimming (laughs) and hallucinating because it's absolutely hilarious and incorporates the funniest CGI I've seen in a really long time. (laughs) Yeah. Is it a sea creature? If I told you, you would think I was lying. (laughs) So I really really just need you to see it. Oh lord. But I do think I do think a lot of audiences will connect with this movie because of its inspirational nature and the performances from Annette Bening and Jodie Foster. So going back to Rustin for a second, I have a little fun fact which I didn't realize uh-huh. until I read about this movie, but I play volleyball in New York in this school and it's called the Bayard Rustin whatever school and I never knew until I read the synopsis for Rustin that this is Bayard. Like, this is the man that the school is named after. So it was kind of oh a cool God. little connection. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Very <laughs> random. So you can think of him every time you go I to do the volleyball now. now. Yeah. <laughs> Just think of Coleman Domingo while you're serving or something. <laughs> and two other movies I saw that people are talking about this season. So El Conde, which won screenplay at Venice and is now on Netflix. This film... I was mixed on it, but you also know how I am with Pablo Lorraine movies. I did not care for Spencer very much. Mm -hmm. And this movie has, it doesn't have the same problems that Spencer has, but it's one of those films that has a fascinating concept. So it's about um, Pinochet, the dictator, and he's a vampire in the film. So it's this really interesting take on, you know, our, how dictators are vampires. They're bloodsuckers. And 
that in itself is such a great premise. And the first 15 minutes, 10 to 15 minutes of this movie as it's going through the history, I loved it. I was so engaged. I thought, oh, I'm going to love this movie. It, it's so beautifully shot too. Ed Lockman is the DP on the film. Shot it in black and white. It's just a stunning film to look at. And then after that, I just I was not on the film's wavelength in terms of its sense of humor. And I think the hard part for me was that it sort of said everything it needed to say in the first 15 minutes. And then it just stretched on saying the same thing that it did in the beginning. So I started to lose interest. It's also very gory. It's pretty gruesome. That is tempered a little bit by the fact that it's black and white. So the blood isn't red (laughs) in the same way. But I will understand if people really connect with it and really like it, but it was just not not really my cup of tea. A film that I really loved, though, was Andrew Hayes' All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Meskel, Andrew Scott, Jamie Bell, and Claire Foy. I cried so hard during this movie. Oh my god. And... I did not have tissues and I found a mask <laughs> in my bag <laughs> to like use that as like a handkerchief of sorts because I was sobbing and I cry a lot during movies, but this was, this was a different level of crying. So I would like to warn people, if you're going to see this movie this fall, bring tissues. It really, really got me. And the general premise of the film is that Andrew Scott is a writer. He's in his 40s. He lives alone in this semi-abandoned apartment building, high-rise in London. And it seems that he and Paul Meskel are the only people who live in this building. Talk about a dream, right? Oh, my God. (laughs) But that aside, he ends up going back home to his childhood home outside of London. And his parents answer the door. But we find out that his parents died when he was 12. So he's talking to his parents' ghosts and asking them questions and having conversations that he was never able to have with them before. I have chills thinking about it. I really loved it. It gave me a similar feeling that I had when I saw Ordinary People. It's just so painfully human. And it's unlike films I've really seen before or recently. And the performances are all amazing. All four of them are perfect. Oof. This is going to wreck me. And I'm happy for that to happen. I'm excited for it. But oof. Just all of the reactions, this description. I know it's coming. I have to prepare myself. You're seeing it at New York? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. I expect a full report afterwards. I'll be going with Bennett. So it works oh in his God. schedule. So yeah. Okay. For good, better or worse, good. I don't know. We'll see how the movie goes. I will, I will not be going again. <laughs> I'm very happy that I saw it once, but once is enough. <laughs> and then in terms of the fest, there were a couple carryovers from Cannes, which I was mm-hmm. so excited for you to see once you got there. The big ones were The Zone of Interest and Anatomy of a Fall. Both were in my top five from the fest. So what were your thoughts on those? Yeah, so I didn't see Anatomy of a Fall because I knew it was coming to New York and I decided to just prioritize some other things and save it for New York. So I'm very excited to see it in a few weeks. But I have to tell you, it was the talk of the festival screenings were closed like people were turned away and they screened it five times so it was a big big hit and Sandra Huller was there walking around (laughs) at Telluride I ran into her in the bathroom which was great (laughs) um (laughs) yeah I think a lot of people were talking about this so I think it's going to have a good life this award season especially when it comes to her performance. People were raving about it, so I'm very excited to see it eventually. But even though The Zone of Interest is also going to New York Film Festival, I did see that, and you were right. I left buzzing (laughs) after this movie. I don't even know where to begin, other than to say that it's my favorite movie of the year so far. Wow. And... It's hard to say that about a Holocaust film, but there were moments when I was watching this film 
where I thought to myself, this has the potential to be like the defining film about the Holocaust, more so than Schindler's List. Like it hit me on a deeper level. They're very, very different, but I think that what Glazer does here is for me at this point in the year, the directorial achievement of the year. And there are a lot of films I haven't seen yet. I haven't seen Killers of the Flower Moon, for instance, but I feel that it is an essential piece of art that I'm going to have difficulty describing. And you're right, we will talk about it in more depth later on because there's so much to dig into from the movie. But in general, what I loved about it is that Glazer, he effectively creates two films. The film that you see and the film that you hear. And they're woven together in a way that is brilliant. So he sets up cameras around the home of the Haas family, which is right outside of Auschwitz. And you just experience their daily life. And as you're watching them (laughs) throughout the days and nights, you're also hearing these horrific sounds from the camp. And you have to use the images that you know from history and from film and from books to fill in the gaps. And there are certain sounds that you hear in this movie that will never leave me. There's a specific scream that is, oh, it makes me sick to even think about it. I couldn't eat after watching this movie. I didn't eat for hours. I saw it in the morning, which was kind of a mistake, I think. I don't actually know when the best time to see it is, (laughs) but I went at 9 a.m. I couldn't do anything. I just, it was, it was very overwhelming. It's a very overwhelming experience. And I'm excited to talk about it more later on once more people see it. You're right, it's hard to say it's, you know, the best movie or the best type of movie, but it's so expertly directed and its purpose gets across so clearly that that is reason enough to call it so. And I will be seeing this again at New York. I just think the audience there, I think, will be more appreciative of it versus like a wide release. I'm excited for more people to see it, but it may disturb a more general audience if you especially if you don't know what you're getting into but i agree from the score the production design they're just being a sterility to how he's capturing the material mm-hmm. it's horrifying oh gosh i agree with you though like general audiences it it's just i will issue a warning like it is it's so dark and disturbing if the fact that i said i couldn't eat after it wasn't enough I'll just say it again. It's a tough, tough watch. But yeah, this with Anatomy of a Fall, a killer Sandra Uhler double feature. Uh, she's so amazing in this. Yeah. And um, Christian Friedel, who plays her husband. They are, they're scary good. So which of these movies are you most excited to see? Of these, definitely Saltburn. I think All of Us Strangers mm-hmm. is at a near second, if not tied. Okay very different experiences and that's kind of what I want throughout this Mm -hmm. award season is going to see fun and naked people and then also crying (laughs) (laughs) like having beautiful visuals just craziness across the board and I'm assuming that's what you're hinting at with Saltburn so I need need that yeah we'll talk more about the nudity (laughs) when the the movie comes out because I don't want to (laughs) spoil how it's used but uh but yeah if you if you enjoy seeing that kind of thing on screen you will not be disappointed with saltburn i already talked to our dear friend in life friend of the pod connor mcdowell about going to see it together and how we all need to go together that would be so it's fun a party oh my god yeah it's we're all gonna react violently <laughs> verbally throughout the movie it has a midnight screening quality to it oh okay I love that. So which of these are you most excited for everyone to see? It has to be Saltburn. <laughs> <laughs> Even though I know some people are going to hate it, the people who will love it will really love it. And I'm looking forward to talking about it more. It's gorgeous. I can't wait to own it on Blu-ray and watch it regularly. <laughs> oh my God. But I think also in a serious way, 
poor things. Again, I just, I'm excited for the conversation around that too. And it's a very fun movie that I think a lot of people will really enjoy. And last we have the Toronto International Film Festival. And at Toronto, we had some tribute awards beforehand. So Coleman Domingo and my beloved Vicky Creeps were honored with the Performer Awards. Spike Lee had the Director Award. Patricia Arquette had the Share Her Journey Groundbreaker Award. And Lukas Zal had the Variety Artisan Award. Lukas Zal, who was the DP on Cold War, is also the DP on The Zone of Interest. And his work there is perfection like just some of the shots in that movie are Mm -hmm. breathtaking but the big story out of tiff every year is always who wins the people's choice award so the runners up we had the boy and the heron in third place the holdovers as the first runner-up and the winner was cord jefferson's american fiction which i think was surprising earlier i don't think people really expected it to be the winner when the festival started but i think as the festival progressed it seemed more and more like the movie that could end up walking away with the win and feeling like a sort of typical toronto audience award winner yeah i really didn't know much about this movie before it won and when it Mm -hmm. really even premiered so I'm excited about this, partly because Cord Jefferson, he has worked on so many TV shows before, like The Good Place, Watchmen, Master of None. He was a consultant for Succession even. So I feel like this would be up for adapted screenplay, and I'm excited for that material. I think this is just really big praise, especially for an award that is voted on by the people who see the movie, and it's not just critics. And a lot of the performances were praised as well. So I think this early awards chatter for this movie could mean really good things later on. I completely agree. And there's always a crossover between the TIFF Audience Award winner and the Oscars. So I think we can, I think we can expect to be talking about this later on, whether it's as a picture contender, screenplay, Jeffrey Wright, anything like that. I will say the holdover showing up here, that's also promising for that film. And the Miyazaki film, The Boy and the Heron, which we'll both be seeing at the New York Film Festival. And we'll talk about it then. I think a surprising thing, to me at least, was that Taika Waititi's film Next Goal Wins did not show up as an audience award winner. I think I expected it to place, Mm -hmm. not because of the quality of the film, but just because of who he is and how the general public tends to respond to his material (laughs) and personality. He decided to show up to Toronto to present the film, did a little act on stage, punching the microphone and it didn't work. So the movie, we might not be talking about it the rest of the year. We'll see, but it did get pretty negative reviews. It, had a pretty positive response though with audiences so I could see this movie being one that's you know really rejected by critics but embraced by general audiences I think the film's belabored history over the past few years editing out actors changing the story more of that is coming out now which is Mm -hmm. just extremely problematic and looks awful on him for crafting the story in the way that he did initially at least but I think the one thing that was praised overall for the movie was Kaimana's performance this was never really on my radar at all I mean we've discussed yeah his movies quite a bit even Thor 2 which you saw right and I didn't I think it might be Thor 3 (laughs) Thor 4 exactly but his second Thor film, because he did, because he did Thor Ragnarok and that's Thor Love and yeah. Thunder. Yes. Okay, okay. But I will say The Boy in the Heron showing up. We manifested this. We love that a Miyazaki film finally got at least a major award out of TIFF. And hopefully that means good things later on for the movie. I cannot wait to see this. And this is another movie that I'm seeing with friends and Bennett come New York time. And a number of other films that went to TIFF, we had um, some international films like Evil Does Not Exist, Monster, the new Kareda film, 
and a number of actor-director films. What I mean by that are, you know, directorial debuts from actors. So I think the biggest one here that people were talking about was Woman of the Year from Anna Kendrick, which is also going to Netflix. And the other two films that were here that I'm excited to see at New York that are a bit strange from what I've heard are Beast, the Bonello film with Leah Seydoux and George Mackay. Oh, yes. I can't wait for this. I'm so excited to see this. And um, do not expect much from the end of the world from Radu Jude that stars Nina Haas, among others. So I think both of those were not as discussed at Toronto, I think because it's it's a public festival. It's the largest public festival. So sometimes I think the responses to the movies at the festival are more aligned with what the general public thinks and not with what critics lean towards. But those are two more that I can't wait to check out in a few weeks. So which of these movies are you most excited to see? I would say American Fiction because it's the winner, but I think I'm going to say The Beast. I know that sci-fi isn't always my thing, but the polarizing reactions I've seen from this have me very, very intrigued. What about you? Another one that, I mean, I saw at Cannes, I won't shut up about is How to Have Sex. And they just released after TIFF that it's getting a UK release in November. It's being distributed by movie. So if you're over there, definitely try to see it. I love that. I am surprised your answer wasn't Flora and Son, because that was also oh it. Oh, my tip. God. <laughs> I promise I'm just working it up in your head to be scared for it. But I think it is Stop. a really big crowd pleaser. I'm surprised. I mean, maybe it wasn't eligible for the People's Choice, but I'm surprised that didn't show up. It's another like Apple inspirational film, kind of like Coda. It has some of those same elements. It's definitely the comedy, but it is more vulgar, so... What do you mean more vulgar? The lead actress, Eve Houston, swears a lot. And it's part of where they live and how they've been brought up. But it's a fun time. Anyway, anyway, I'm teasing. Did we hear much about Lee, too, and Kate Winslet? Oh, Lee, yes. So Lee premiered to very mixed reviews, praising Kate Winslet's performance. But the reviews on the film were very mixed. I think I have to say The Boy and the Heron. It's just we've talked about Maizaki multiple times on the pod, and I'm really excited. Despite there being some like maybe mixed reviews in terms of his filmography and how, where this places in that, I don't care. I just want to experience his potentially last film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's that. Me too. Okay, so that was our recap of Venice. Telluride and TIFF. There's so many great movies this year already. 2023 is shaping up to be an incredible year in film and I can't wait to see so many of these movies that I haven't seen yet and to re-watch some that I've already seen and just to hear everyone's reactions to some of the films that I love from the year. Always a good feeling to have. Yeah, I think feeling that anticipation and all of the celebration of so many movies coming, that's what really excites me here and that we'll be seeing so many of them very soon in New York, but also we'll be seeing some wide releases from these movies first. I know of Anatomy of a Fall coming in mid-October and that's really exciting that that'll be out. So definitely keep looking into these movies. We will be doing a New York film festival recap in three weeks so lots more to come in the award season and then from there later on obviously we will be doing our oscar contender series and talking about more of these films in award season check-ins yeah an exciting season ahead next week on oscar wild we will be going back in time once again though getting away from the current season and talking about some New York movies. So we previously covered New York movies a few years ago at this point with Annie Hall and Kramer versus Kramer. And this time we're revisiting the topic, talking about Rosemary's Baby and Saturday Night Fever. I'm 
very excited to share this episode with everyone. We've already recorded it, and it was a lot of fun. And just getting into spooky season, I think Rosemary's Baby mm-hmm. is a perfect movie for that. And I've already started my horror watches and rewatches for the season. Oh my god, I'm so excited to start. So I've never seen The Exorcist in theaters, but it's the 50th this year. So I'm hoping that Ooh. we get some good... Mm-hmm rep screenings of it so i can see it in theaters for the first time but yeah spooky season is always the greatest for movies i try to do mm-hmm. one horror movie every day oh my gosh of october yeah <laughs> we'll see how it goes this time it's a very busy month for mm-hmm. me but i will try <laughs> well thank you all for listening feel free to rate review and follow us on instagram twitter and tiktok at oscar wild pod you can also find bonus content at patreon.com slash oscar wild Thank you all for listening. We'll see you next time.